The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 188 for January 19th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome. Hi, John. How are you? Um... Not quite a hundred percent, but but healthy enough to uh, do the podcast. Well, that's good. And also, just thinking about the uh, the, the clause in my contract, which uh, states what happens if I don't do enough podcasts throughout the year. But we won't talk about that. That that's under NDA. That's right. And 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 you would hate to get behind this early in uh, in the year because then you just spend the rest of the year totally making it up. So. But I'll do what I can. I, I think I can make it through the podcast. And we're doing this early. It's daylight here, or uh, the sun's just starting to set. Yeah, and we're getting a little dusting of snow, and as 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 usual, you're you're getting the the bulk of it. I don't know. It just seems to avoid Connecticut and go straight for you. Yeah, we um we got quite a bit over the weekend. I think we got what about uh, somewhere between nine and twelve inches yesterday, depending on who you ask and where you count and all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, that's all good. You know, we uh, it looks gorgeous out there, actually. I should take a picture. I, I meant to take a picture this morning while I was out shoveling, but I didn't. Uh, yeah, go for it, man. Hey, oh, thank goodness. I was just going to start ranting about how, you know, it snowed last night again, and the plow guy hadn't come back. And it's like, you know, what the heck, dude? You come and plow my thing. That's what we pay you for. And I was going to try and snowblow it before uh, before we did the podcast, but I got really behind, and I actually didn't finish show prep until maybe about two minutes before uh, we got online together. But I just looked out the window of the studio here, and what do I see screaming by the window? The guy with the plow. Mm-hmm. So it's awesome. This podcast makes things happen. It does. It, you know, I, I, like, I like to think that. Um, so last week, I, I didn't mention this on the show. I got home from Macworld Expo, as, as you know, and got to my desk on Monday morning. And even though I flew home, whatever, Friday night, Saturday red-eye disaster-ish thing, uh, I hadn't plugged my laptop into my desk and all this stuff that's here until Monday morning. So I get here Monday morning, I plug in, and the cinema display, the little light on it, the power light comes on, but no image. It's like, oh, it's because I had to plug into the stupid uh, um, projector at Macworld. My computer's all confused. So I go into the display preferences. Yeah, because it it happened, you know. The same thing has happened with those... Projectors, you got to go in and you got to say detect displays. And so I do that. And it's like, yeah, okay, wait a minute. It sees the display because I collected all the windows onto, onto the screen I could see. And I could drag to that screen, but nothing would appear. I'm like, oh, dude, this sucks. Because, oh. Yeah, bad. So news. it saw it, but you didn't see what it was seeing. No, no picture on the display. But the computer acknowledged that it was connected because you could bring things there. Yes. Oh, well. To me, that sounds like a clearly a hardware problem. <laughs> yes, very, very bad. Now, this is one of the first uh, 23-inch cinema displays, the, the plastic uh, ones. And they had that, you know, man, for all, and, and I do hope he's, you know, I know he's sick and I hope he gets better. But, you know, for all his, his great stuff, that Steve Jobs was obsessed for a while with, you know, eliminating cable clutter and all that crap. And so he created what was called the ADC, the Apple Display Connector. And that's what that monitor has, which carries not only the video signal, but power and USB in one cable. And since only like one model of Mac was ever built with that stupid thing, you had to get an adapter. 
So, so I, I need an adapter to go from ADC to power USB and then DVI video, which then plugs into, you know, the side of my mic. I thought there was Pro. a different connector, yeah, well, which is part of the cable and connector conspiracy, which we can talk about a little bit later. That's, oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot all about that. That's right. But anyway. It, it, still, it, it still happens to this day. It so does. It, and so I'm like, oh, crap. Okay. And then I, you know, I thought, well, let me try plugging it into another computer because, you know, honoring the troubleshooting process, I've got to go through and, and you know, eliminate uh, pieces. Could have been the computer. Sure. Yeah, who of knows? course. I, well, it would make more sense that it was the computer because the computer had been traveling all around the country and plugged into, you know, various, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, public monitors. And heaven knows what could have happened. Right. Uh, it, <laughs> so... So uh, I try it with uh, Lisa's laptop. No. And I thought, wow, okay, let me try it with the, the, the dual G4 desktop that we use as a server. And as I reach around back to find the DVI port on it, I noticed that that video card is one of the, you know, one made that has the uh, ADC connector. I thought, oh, great. I'll plug straight in and this will, you know, help eliminate yet one more piece of hardware. And sure enough, I plug in and it lights right up. So somehow... This DVI to ADC box had stopped working. And uh, the good huh. news the good news is that it's it's like an airport base station or a time capsule or any of those kind of ancillary Mac related uh, pieces of hardware where if you have one computer with which you may, can use this device uh, that's covered by Apple Care, then the device by proxy is covered by Apple Care regardless of when you bought it. Because even though this thing is like five or ten or however many years old, well, let's see, I would have gotten this in 2000. So mm-hmm. it's eight years old, seven or eight years old, or maybe even close to nine. And it was totally covered. I called my local Apple guy, brought it down, Mac Edge, right, down in, uh, in Portsmouth. And they ordered one. It was here the next day. Boom. Done. All nice. fixed. That solved it. Yeah. I was kind of sad, though, because... Um, through some creative uh, serial number entry when putting in serial numbers for various MacBooks Pro or MacBook Pros that I've had over the years, my cinema display is technically still covered by Apple Care. I have yet to test that theory, but online, huh. if I type in the serial number, well, you know, when you get a, uh, a laptop and you go and register for Apple Care, it says, what's the serial number of the laptop? And if you bought a display with this laptop, type its serial number in too. So I always right. just type in the serial number in my cinema display, and uh, it still shows as covered. Now, I don't know if it actually would have been, but it would have been nice to you know swap that out for a new one. Huh. Anyway, it all works, so I figured I'd mention that. Okay, uh, I, got, I got one thing, if you want to kind of alternate yeah. here. Yeah, go. So yeah, this, this, may be a, this wasn't so much... Um, you know, plugging into strange things and coming back from Macworld, but it was what I was trying to do last show, which was, uh, yeah, I got, I got way off course, and I was trying to solve a wireless uh, WDS issue between uh, uh, Time Capsule and uh, Airport uh, Express. And so I was just trying to print something the other day. It was an online coupon. I was going to go out shopping, wanted to print the coupon. So I printed to my, uh, tried to print to my uh, uh, laser printer, which is connected via wired Ethernet to the uh, time capsule, uh, and I give it a local IP address. Now I don't. Now I could choose to access it two ways. One would be Apple Talk, which, as far as I know, I can still do, or by TCP/IP. And I just like TCP/IP because um, I can also access a configuration utility on the printer using TCP/IP. So, so that's the protocol that I choose for that. And it wasn't printing. That the computer was sitting there saying, you know, trying to reconnect to printer, trying to reconnect to printer at this IP address, and I'm like. Well, that IP address is right. Um, 
And I went to the printer and just made sure the printer's IP address was the same. And it was. And I'm like, you know, I was kind of futzing around with the wireless. Let me look at the time capsule and see what kind of addresses it's handing out for DHCP addresses or just what local subnet it had configured. And because I was futzing around, apparently I had reset things to 10.0. Now, because this printer was on 192.168, it had no idea what was going on. So the computer was so the computer was trying to access something that was on a totally different class of internet address, and it was like, yep, I don't know, I'll try again, and it was going to try forever. So once I went in and to the uh, on the DHCP screen, I think it's uh, internet and DHCP. Uh, usually on on the newer Apple devices, um, you can set which which uh, non routable subnet you want the DHCP to be handed out on, and so I switched it back to one nine two one six eight, and once I rebooted, actually the computer finally got through and, and it printed. So. Just in case you run into problems with your network printers, uh, double check your routers, especially if you're using an IP or, well, pretty much any protocol, IP or Apple Talk or whatever. Yeah, that's fascinating. Wow. That, interesting. Yeah, well, there you go. That's how it works. That's, uh, it, it, it did exactly what it was supposed to do, except it skipped the part about reading your mind. Yeah, well, that's, that's coming soon. <laughs> Real soon now, right? I don't know. So you got a couple more things here. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a TiVo guy, John, and I know you're a TiVo guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And one thing that's always frustrated me is if I have an MPEG-2 video, uh, as we've discussed, you can put it in a special folder. If you open up the and, and actually, I think you can do this with the new Toast, uh, Roxio's Toast 10. But uh, even if you don't have that, if you have the TiVo desktop installed on your Mac, you can share photos and music with your TiVo. And if you hold down the command key while clicking on TiVo desktop and system preferences, uh, you can, um, you, you then get a third tab that lets you share videos from your Mac back to your TiVo. Now, if you download a video from your TiVo to your Mac, you can share it back, but you can also, if you have an MPEG two file, uh, you can put that out there, and in most cases, you can transfer it to your TiVo, and, and it'll play. Not only, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this, though, because yeah. I was trying this the other day, and it was not an, I think it may have been an MPEG-1, mm-hmm. but it was a different video codec. The thing is, the file copied, I could view it. The only thing I could do is play and pause. I could not fast forward or rewind. Really? So apparently with older formats, it understands enough of it to allow you to play it because I, I just had a random video and I'm like, well, let me see if it plays that. Why not? And all of a sudden sure. it started copying it over and I'm like, well, that's cool. But again, as I mentioned, when I started playing it, I could hit pause, but I couldn't go fast rewind or fast forward. But, you know, it's better than nothing. It's a, it, it's a fine uh, video player for more than the MPEG-2 files. But, but I think, uh, yeah, if, if you have an MPEG-2 file, then you get the full functionality, which includes the fast forward and fast rewind and, and all of that stuff. Right. Okay. So uh, one thing that's always frustrated me is we have gotten in the habit of, you know, we're Netflix people and we've gotten in the habit. If we get a movie, unless it's a brand new movie, uh, it's almost certainly going to be scratched to the point where our DVD player is going to skip when we play it and cause all sorts of frustration and cursing and all that kind of stuff that you don't want to have to go through at night when you're relaxing and trying to watch a movie. So something old, 
we've gotten in the habit of ripping it to the computer, burning a DVD and just watching it that way, because it's the only way that I can watch movies from Netflix. Uh, uh, are you allowed to do that? Doesn't that break the well, no, because then, then we, rules are then we be a- presumably throw it away when we uh, send the uh, movie back to Netflix. Uh, I don't know. You better you better watch out your window when you're doing that sort of thing. OK, well. I figured, you know, gosh, it would be nice if I could just copy these things to the TiVo. And in the past, you could using a piece of software called Visual Hub, which A, is no longer made and B, did some strange things with their TiVo plugin, And it would down mix the sound to stereo only and that sort of thing. But I had this piece of software on my Mac that I've used for years called DVD to one. 10 or DVD to one X. And what it does is it takes the big honking uh, files that you get when you rip a DVD with something like Mac, the Ripper, and it crunches them down to 4.4 gigabytes so that you can install So you can burn it to a, a DVD R, right? So you don't have to burn to a dual layer disc. And it DVDs are, if you ever look on a DVD in the video underscore TS folder, there's a bunch of files ending in .vob, and typically DVD players don't want those files to be more than one gigabyte in size. Well, here's a a little trick for you. Those files, those VOB files, they're MPEG-2 files. They've got some chapter markers and stuff in them, but they're MPEG-2 files. And if you copy those to the TiVo, it plays. But of course, you know, you've got four of them, usually uh, four and a half of them sometimes, um, which would be five, really, because there's no such thing as a half file. And that sort of gets to be a pain. Well, the new version of DVD to 110 has, which it's new as of September, I just found it this weekend, has a setting in there that instead of creating a file or a set of files that can be played on a DVD player, you can set it to create files that will be played on a media player. And it creates one big VOB file with whatever soundtrack you want to put in there. You select that when you're when you're doing the conversion. And it ends. It just ends in .vob, so you have to change it to .mpg once the conversion's finished, and then boom, the TiVo plays it, full sound, 5.1, full quality video. So instead of having to go through the process of actually burning a DVD, we can just suck it off, put it on the computer, run it through DVD to 110, play it via the TiVo, and then delete it when we're done. It's awesome. Okay. Um, I have a silly question. Yeah. Uh, you, you said you were using Netflix? Mm-hmm. All right, I'm I'm looking here and I I see on the TiVo website that there is Netflix on TiVo. Have you tried that and is is that comparable? Um it's no, it's not it's not comparable for a couple of reasons. One, it it actually works great and it's it's really convenient. But there there's a couple of problems. One, there's I think only about 10,000 movies that Netflix has made available uh via this system and presumably they'll make more. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it, yeah, it, I think they say twelve thousand now. So. Okay, yeah, but it it's not nearly enough, and it's certainly not all the new releases, and okay. m- mostly not even movies you'd want to watch. So it it it's difficult. Um, it, it's cool when it when you find something that you want to watch because it just works and it streams over the internet. But uh, so that's problem number one. Problem number two is the quality because they're streaming it over the internet is not quite full DVD quality. And problem number three is it's down mixed to stereo sound. And that is always the deal killer uh, for me. You know, it's like, come on, dudes. I understand, dudes. but you know, we've got lots of bandwidth now. So just pump down the sound. It Compared to the size of the video, the sound really isn't that much. I mean, you know, if, right. you, if you use what, what is it? Um, AC3, I think, is the encoding that's used on most DVDs. 
And it's it's only, you know, a couple of hundred megabytes to do full 5.1 sound for a whole movie. So it's, you know, I I I don't take the bandwidth thing as the excuse there. So that's my mm-hmm. that's my rant. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um and speaking of video, I I have a little video tangent here. So I had a friend of mine um he wanted to, me to help him out uh he uh, get some video from a website and I'm like, "Well, you know, that's that's easy as far as I know. You you know, you get the video embedded in the web page. You click on the QuickTime or Windows Media tab, and it lets you save it. Well, this web page, for reasons that aren't clear to me, but, well, I, I think I know why they're doing this, was using Flash video. Ah. And one of the problems with Flash video is that the Flash video players, uh, so your browser, instead of using a QuickTime plugin, will come up, I guess, with a Flash video plugin, or, or they may provide another one, is that you can't just click on the video and save it. They, they tend to not include that feature in the little pull-down menu you get if you even can get a menu. Right. So he's like, how do I get these? And I'm like, well, you know, if the video's there, then there's a way to get it. And obviously there's a way for it to stream it. They're, they're just making it a little more difficult. So we're going to give you a little, you know, something to help you twirl your propeller on your propeller beanie here. I don't know. <laughs> um, so are we going to have a propeller twirling moment here as you talk through this? No, not really. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Well, a little bit. So, so uh, and we'll talk about Safari a little more in another context. But so in Safari, what you'd like to do, or th- this is the process I took to make it a little easier. So, of course, you could say view source on the page and try to look through and find the, the, the URL for the video file, which I guess you could do. You know, it's probably an FLV or SWF file. In this case, this was, you know, dot FLV. Okay. Um, so I went to Safari, preferences, show, develop menu. There, there's a menu that shows that. Um, and under the develop menu, there, there's something I think we've talked about it before, but it's called Web Inspector. And it's a very nice way of kind of laying out all the content on the web page in front of you in nice categories. One of them being, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was like a you know media category. And it'll show the embedded video files. So once you get that, you know the URL to get to that file, but, but then you got to figure a way to play it. So actually, and actually the way... I downloaded it. It was weird. So if I pasted that URL into a new browser window, yeah, it would start trying to display it because it didn't understand it. Oh. I saw like text of stuff and I'm like, huh, okay, so Safari doesn't quite get this. When I went to Firefox and pasted in that URL, Firefox said, oh, okay. And it was on a different server too, a slightly different server. So it was like instead of the root.com, it was like root.video.com. Sure. Slash FLV, and they had a separate directory, but it had a distinct URL. So when I pasted it into Firefox, it tried to access it, and instead of trying to display it like Safari, said, "Oh, you want me to save this file to disk?" I'm like, "Yes," which was what I was trying to do to begin with. And then I poked around. I hadn't found a good player for either SWF or FLV files, but actually Apple points to one, um, and I guess it's called uh, SWF and FLV Player 3.7. Uh, from who the heck is Eltima Software in Germany, I think. Yeah, GMB. Yeah, it looks like a German company. But I tried to load it in, play it. Works great. In the past, I used something that was like called FLV Player, and it was it, it looked like it was a short-term development effort on someone's part. But this, look, you know, I mean, Apple links to it. Uh, not saying that you know that makes it well apple links to it and it's still on their page and it's fairly new they updated it in august so if you need to snag flv files this is one way to do it another way which i didn't pursue but firefox has several plugins uh that'll allow you to uh i guess i would say intercept and save um and actually if you know if people do that on a regular basis i'd like to know what your favorite plugins are uh, to do that so that was kind of neat because it just made me happy i was able to solve the problem to completion 
Yeah, that's always good. That's very satisfying. I know what you mean. Uh, so and I'm not sure if this would have worked in this case. It depends on how the flash was being pulled into the Web page. But mm -hmm. um, in Safari, if you go to the window menu and go to activity, you'll see uh, kind of broken out for each tab, all of the uh, requests that were made on behalf of this page. Typically, when you visit a Web page, just like what you were talking about, you know, when you visit a Web page, it pulls down the 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 initial file but then that file goes and sells it okay go get you know this image here oh, and that right. css file and this here and that there and so in here you'll see uh in the list you may see and it de again it depends on how the flash does it but i'm pretty sure if it's pulling a separate file you would see it here and and the flash thing would would show up and then what you can do is you can i don't think you can right click there no but you can double click uh and it will open that particular um, oh, file, you know, yeah, as its as its own thing. Again, that wouldn't necessarily have helped you, John, because you were looking to uh, you you were looking to save the file, and and if Safari loads it directly, it doesn't save it anyway. But right, uh, right. but at least that gives you it, it. It's another way of getting the URL to any given uh, piece of of media. Okay, and I think you, you got one more. Or, uh... Oh no, you know what? We'll uh, we'll we'll move on, and uh, maybe I'll I'll talk about that other thing. Oh, you know what? I'll talk about it now. It's fine. Um, I know a lot of people complain about iMovie, and especially iMovie O eight because it lost a lot of features, and uh, it, you know it's radically different from from all previous versions of iMovie. And then, of course, we saw the demo. While we were at Macworld, John, of iMovie 09, which is coming out in the next week or two, presumably. And that looked like they had started adding some features back in, right? And uh, But my son had been playing around with uh, our just our digital still camera, which has a movie mode in it. And he'd been taking some various movies around the house. And I told him, I said, he's seven. And I said, look, uh, you know, you can mess with this stuff and you can, you know, kind of chop it up and do all sorts of things. And I sat him down in front of iMovie and I showed him how to get going and kind of pull in video clips. And this was iMovie 08. And I hadn't, I've, I've used it a little bit, but I haven't really spent a lot of time. It's so easy to get stuff done. It's so intuitive that, yes, if you want to go and make advanced videos, I can totally see where you're going to be frustrated. But if all you want to do is take those little movies that you've pulled off your camera and stitch them together and maybe do a little voiceover and put in some sound effects and a title and uh -huh. have some fun with it. I mean, once I got him, I spent maybe 10 minutes with him and then he's like, yeah, all right, I'm good. You know, uh, bye bye. Wow. And and he spent probably two hours there stitching wow. together a movie and having a are, blast with it. Yeah. Are you saying it's it's easy enough that a child could use it? That's exactly what I just said. Oh, that, that is what you said. <laughs> that is what I said after all. But yeah, it's, um, I, you know, I, I, I think it's I don't have any complaints about it. But then again, I was not a heavy user of iMovie prior. Um, and I, again, I think yeah, that's... I did a little, but it was very simple. Like, like you're saying, is, is pulling one or two clips, maybe being able to cut out something, titles, and push a movie out. I, I wasn't really interested. To me, if you wanted to do more than that, then you would get, what, like Final Cut or something like that. Right. If you want to do big boy editing, uh, iMovie, you know, to me, should be targeted as a consumer. So maybe that was why they, they re-rolled it. It was getting too squirrely. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but uh, so I just wanted to mention that, and and I and now uh, even more than before, I'm really looking forward to iMovie 09 because you know adding that 
that, especially that that uh, image there, that video stabilization thing. That's huge, right? When you've got a seven-year-old boy running around with a, a yeah, camera. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the cameras to a certain extent have that, but it, I no. guess it can't hurt to have. No, no, mm-hmm. not that. Not the little not point like the and still cameras. No. Oh, OK. No, no. Oh, I always thought that they had some level of stabilization on the, on well, the video cameras. Let's just say not enough. <laughs> OK. Yeah. All right. There, had... there are only so many things technology can do. Yeah. In real right. time. I, I understand. OK. Right. Cool. Our first sponsor for this show is CircusPonies.com and their notebook application. You've heard us talk about Notebook 3.0 before. Uh, Pilot Pete's not here, but he and his son use it extensively uh, for different purposes. Notebook is a an electronic notebook. It allows you to create multiple files, and you can create them by category or by project or maybe by class if you're a student. And then inside of each, you start with an outline view, and you can just type You can also pull in PDFs. You can annotate PDFs. You can sketch inside there. It's got a whole new search infrastructure now in version 3.0 that lets you really kind of, it's almost, you know, AI. It just sort of pulls everything together using their their multi-dex, which which indexes uh, various different notebooks. You can web export your notebooks directly to your mobile me account. And just to give you kind of some, some foundation, It's got starting points built in. So if you're perhaps creating a notebook to manage your to do's or preparing for a project or something like that, it's got different starting points that that create a template, if you will, uh, to get you started so that you can you can really see what's uh, what's going on. Notebook is available from CircusPonies.com, $49.95 for a standard license, $29.95 for an academic license, family pack, which gets you three license keys. $99.95. And uh, there are upgrades out there. You can upgrade from version two for $24.95 as well. So circusponies.com notebook is your electronic notebook solution from circusponies.com. John, we were talking about Safari before that. And I I know you said we were going to get back to it. I think it's, I think it's good time to get back to it. Oh yeah. There's this vulnerability that was uh, announced last week uh, and and the the person that found it says that they've been in contact with Apple. Apple has acknowledged that this exists. There is no fix but from Apple yet. But uh, so the details of exactly how to go about exploiting this vulnerability have not been made public, which is typically standard course. Right, John, if, if somebody finds a vulnerability, uh, they alert the manufacturer and give them uh, give them unless, time. And we've seen this in the past, unless. Either the company they're dealing with is dragging their heels excessively, which yep. Apple, Apple has may done, have done yep. or if the person's just a jackass. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that'll do it. And we can say that. That's a clean word. But, oh, but if they're is. just yep. being, being difficult, if, yep. if they just want to, you know, if, they're, if they want to get attention or something, or, you know, trying to take a stand saying, you know, all vendors must fix all security vulnerabilities right. that I find immediately, or otherwise I'm going to report it to the world. To, to me, that's not very responsible. That's... Yeah, that that that's not doing anyone any good, except maybe the individual making themselves feel important. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure how much good that does. Uh, but yeah, I think the way this guy handled it was was actually done very well. He announced that, look, I found it. Apple's aware of it. And the reason I'm telling you all about this is because there is a workaround in the interim until Apple fixes it. Now, again, we don't have all the details. And if we did, we wouldn't talk about them, but we don't have them. But somehow... 
the RSS feed reader built in to Safari is not secure and potentially could allow a remote server to read files on your Mac. Now, to what extent it can read files, it's not, you know, none of this is clear, uh, but, but it certainly is possible and it seems fairly credible. The solution uh, is to tell Safari that it's not the default RSS readers so that if you are brought to a link that would invoke Safari's RSS reader, it invokes either nothing or something else. And there's, there's, I guess there's, there's a place in Safari's preferences where you can set this, but as it turns out, uh, you can change the default RSS reader inside Safari, but that's not enough. There's, there's actually three things that you need to change and we'll post a link to this, but John, maybe you can talk about it because it uses a program that you've <laughs> talked about before called RC default app. And, and you're more familiar. And I think you already did it. Um, yeah, I did it on both machines. So uh, let me bring it up here. I was just chuckling because I, I saw something in Safari. But anyway, so it's, yeah, it's called default apps. It's a pref pane. And what you do in this case is you click on the pref pane. You move over to the URLs extension, uh, URLs tab in the utility. And what it shows is the URL handler. Um, so as Dave hinted, some utilities will, or some applications will let you set some of these mappings, but this shows you every mapping uh, of any sort on your computer. And I'm looking here, for, just for example, it starts with Acrobat, Address Book, AFP, AIM, uh, all sorts of things. And what you want to do is go to the category, uh, there are three of them, uh, and it's Feed, Feeds, and Feed Search. I think you want to do all three of them. And under the default application, it should be Safari, unless you've already changed it. I would say set it to disable, as, as they suggest, or anything that can handle an RSS feed. But disable probably makes sense. Um, the, the thing I was chuckling at is when I was looking in a Safari, and I looked at the RSS um, uh, category in the preferences, under default RSS reader, it now lists an application called Do Nothing 1.1. Oh, interesting. That's funny. <laughs> That's which kind of matches what I did, which I said disable, and I guess it, it points to like a phantom app or something like that. Right, right. So, uh, now, anyways, here's, a, that, here's something interesting. It's do nothing 1.1. What yes. do you think? It Did 1.0 do something, and so they had to uh, <laughs> update it? <laughs> it does more nothing than the prior version. It does it more nothing faster. I have no idea. Now, and I think you, uh, I know your answer to this and then we could, uh, well, um, what would you use to read an RSS feed? Now, typically I'll use Safari or maybe I guess, well, the first thing off the top of my head is uh, Firefox, but I think there's something that you've used uh, on occasion, Dave. Oh, yeah. I, I am a net newswire, uh, heavy net newswire okay. proponent. That's what I, I thought. I go back and forth between being a heavy net newswire user and not um, because there's various other, you know, I find I'm actually finding Twitter to be a great way to aggregate all of that stuff. There's a lot of websites, Mac Observer included. If you go to twitter.com slash Mac Observer, oh, yeah. you sign up and our headlines will be sent to you via via Twitter. And and so it's just one place where I can get kind of that whole stream of what's going on. So I I with Twitter I have used Net Newswire less, although this weekend as it so happens, I started huh. using it again and uh uh, and and found some stuff that I was sort of not paying as much attention to as I wanted to. More personal stuff, the business stuff I've got, you know, pretty well handled with uh, with Twitter actually. So yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. And regarding that, actually, I've noticed because I, I tried to sign up for some uh, 
you know, people that are Twittering their news feeds. And I guess a, a word of advice to people that are trying to do this, um, if you have especially a lot of content, like the one that I had a problem with and had to turn off was New York Times. Yeah. Way, way, way too much stuff. Like it would take up my whole screen. I couldn't even see what like other people I know. And I'd like to see a decent mix of maybe news and, you know, entertaining or relevant things from friends and stuff. But if it's like, if I get like, you know, 10 tweets in a row from one source, then, then I usually kick them off my list because to me, that's too much. So, uh, or I just signed up for the wrong one. I'm assuming that they may have refined their model and have maybe more focused Twitter feeds. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Just that's everything. Possible. Yeah. You know, like another one that I found is, is, is pretty well regulated. Like NPR doesn't tend to go crazy every now and then, maybe in the mornings or if there's a special event, but other than that, they don't tend to, to overwhelm me with news. Um, and I think we're, we're the same way. We don't blast totally oh. everything out to you. No, it's just the, the headlines from, from everything all day, but that's, you know, throughout the day, that's anywhere between 15 and 25 items, you know, scattered yeah. throughout the day. So, so. I, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. Well, and if it's not, I should. you don't have to subscribe. <laughs> I don't. You know, while we're talking about Twitter, John, we can uh, we might as well mention our, our Twitter names. So I, I'm I'm Twitter dot com slash Dave Hamilton and you are Twitter dot com slash John F. Braun. Correct. That's correct. All right. Cool. Uh, so at Macworld. Well, T- how about okay. TMO? I mean, TMO. Well, uh, we, are I, we... I just said that. Yeah. Twitter dot com slash Mac Observer. Ah, got it. Yeah. Yeah. And when Pete's around, he's twitter.com slash pilot Pete. Is there anybody else? Twitter.com slash Michael Johnston and uh, twitter.com slash iPhone Alley. And then Brent, who converted the shows during Macworld, that's twitter.com slash truck lover. Is that enough? <laughs> Should we go more? Yeah. Uh, during Macworld, we talked about uh, a couple of things. And I'm going to see. Did I screw this up? I think I might have screwed mm-hmm. this up. But. Uh, I'm checking to see if I uh, if I have the file I want. I don't because there was a problem with the the audio. Uh, uh. So we talked about iPhoto facial recognition uh, and and how they had during their during their keynote speech. Uh, Phil Schiller had mentioned that Apple had acquired a third party technology uh, to do this, or maybe not acquired, but was using a third party technology to do this. And Dave had called in. There was there was the audio was choppy, but. But Dave talked about it potentially being something called Raya, R-Y-I-A. Um, it was mentioned in 2000. R-Y? I'm uh, sorry, R-I-Y-A. R-I-Y-A, okay, yep. Mentioned, right, dot com. Uh, mentioned in 2006 on a post that iPhoto support was coming uh, on their on their website, but then it never came. So perhaps they built it and then Apple, uh, you know, partnered with them to get that. Uh also, and, and this is, of course, contradictory, uh, Allison uh, from from podfeet dot com from the Nozilla cast uh, said that she thinks the software is called I Love Photos from I Love Photos dot com from what she saw. And she's used I Love Photos. It was identical uh, to what she saw at the demo. So maybe it's Raya. Maybe it's I Love Photos. Maybe I Love Photos uses Raya's technology for all I know. I couldn't tell. I tried to to, to figure that out, and it, it was not clear. So uh, so I don't know. But You I know, that could have been there. one reason to go to the Apple booth. Yeah, they actually I did. Because buried I, in the... Oh, you did, because buried in the software somewhere has to be... I mean, typically this is a part of most licensing agreements. Oh. On the other hand, Apple lawyers tend to like to 
be creative in their agreements and make yeah. a favor Apple. But I would think that the maker of the technology is buried deep in the bowels of iPhoto somewhere, especially if you go to about iPhoto. I bet and it may right. scroll by at some point. Or it may if you dig through the file itself, it may at some point you may find a copyright notice, you know, whatever technology like because if you look at iTunes and there's a whole bunch of licensing things for like the uh, you know the MP3 encoder and right. and stuff like that. So I'm guessing similar disclosures maybe in the about. Oh, so see, both so you sweet. and I are anxiously waiting for our copies to arrive, which I think is slated for, as, as you said earlier, the end of the month. Right? Yeah, I asked. Yeah, it is. I asked somebody in the Apple booth and they said they didn't know. Uh, hmm. But which? But yeah, you could have checked if I, I wish hmm. I had mentioned it to you. Well, you know, and they probably didn't because I oh, learned sure this didn't. in a. Yeah. Well, I, I remember this at, a, at an Apple at the, uh, the which was, I think, almost legendary, but one of the New York City Macworlds where they handed out the. Uh, so this was the one time you should have looked under your seat and nobody thought to. Right. So it was a keynote speech and they announced the new, which I wasn't really crazy about, kind of loose sight, rounded, you know, kind of funky look. Uh, you you, uh, you cut out there, John. Are you, and the cool are you thing is it, was, it wasn't that great because I only had one button. I'm back with you. Hello? Back. Yeah, we got everything except the name of the product. We got the description and everything. Oh. But, the, but the product was... Well, I think it was one of the, uh, it was uh, an Apple mouse. It was the optical mouse, right? It was or the optical first... mouse. It was one of the first optical mice that Apple released, which, right. uh, you know, of course, didn't uh, all only required a surface upon which there was enough variation that you could drag along and it would know that things were different. I love optical um, mice. I won't use anything else. And it was great. Um, and even other devices, like even I have a, a trackball uses optical technology to tell when the yeah. little ball is spinning. Yeah. But it makes sense because it's not mechanical. It won't wear out. And it doesn't get all uh, that gunk on it. But so what happened, and let me think, what was my point here? But, but the cool part was that we, um, okay, so now I'm back on track. So the interesting part is that we're in the keynote, and all of a sudden, uh, I think it was Steve saying, oh, and by the way, if you reach under your seat, you'll get a coupon for a free mouse as you leave. And I think I still have the box, though, and I still have the mouse. Okay. Remember that one? Yeah. Oh, I, absolutely. I still have the so box the, and the mouse. So the yeah. lesson is, everybody should reach under their seat at every... Well, there, there are. <laughs> well, they're not going to be any Apple, <laughs> Apple sponsored Macworlds. But at any future Apple event, always reach under your seat and see if there's something cool there. I doubt people may that. look at you funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, that, that was a one shot thing. But sense. the funny thing was is that so I noticed on the mouse is that it had a little wheel on the bottom uh, that you could turn. It was around the optical sensor and it had a zero, a plus, and a minus. And I went to someone in the Apple booth and I said, "What does this mean?" And they have, I have no idea. As it turns out, at least at that point in time, and I think, uh, you know, up until current day, a lot of the people manning the booth are not necessarily full-time Apple people. Or they may be full-time Apple people, and just because of the, the culture of secrecy yeah. that, uh, you know, was kicked in, you know, after things like Mac Leak, I'm sorry, Mac Week, right. um, you know, cease publication, but... um. The people, uh, so, so I think it was two things. One is some of the people in there, as far as I know, are temps. Number two, they're not given advanced info, so they don't know. Right. Which to me is kind of lame because I'm like, what? as it turns out, it was a measure, it was a thing to adjust the sensitivity of the mouse button, which was the whole mouse itself. So you could have it at default, firmer, or not as firm. But it was sad that the person, you know, representing the company that made the product didn't know. Didn't know. Yep. Moving on. Moving on. All right. Uh, Last week, I think it was last week, maybe it was uh, two shows ago, we were talking about iTunes stuttering when the, yeah, I think it was several shows ago, actually, uh, iTunes stuttering 
when playing back across an airport express. And I posited that it was the buffers getting uh, getting empty because there was too much disk activity and, and all of that. And Noah write in, wrote in, writes, wrote, wrote, writ, he done writ in. He done writ. <laughs> uh, a few shows back, there was a listener experience a problem when streaming his music to an airport express. As you may recall, he experienced a pause in his music every time there was disc activity. I don't know if this will help, but he can go to iTunes, Preferences, Advanced, Streaming Buffer Size, where he can set his streaming buffer size. And, and that should absolutely help, uh, assuming that... Uh, our, our our presumption was correct. And I think it's normally set to, I think it's normally set to small. Uh, oh, really? Mine was medium. Was it? Let me, let me check on this computer, which is a pretty pristine machine in terms of that, because I never would have bothered to change it. Huh. It's actually large on this one. So what do I know? I don't know. What do you know? I don't know. Well, I'm going to uh, look on this other machine here while you, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I move on here. Uh, well, so now we're going through the section of things that we didn't know because we're having uh, listeners provide tips. And I'm going to play this next tip. It it relates to uh, John and I talking about cables. We get a lot of tips from from uh, this gentleman here. And they're funny because they start off exactly like you're going to hear this one start off. And oftentimes they ramble on for minutes. And many times they just are too... Uh, kind of too out there to to play in the show out there's the wrong the wrong term they they're it's too much of a non sequitur to to play it in the show but this one actually makes sense and but it's it's still kind of funny because of just the way the call starts hey the cable type that john was fishing for is rg6 uh it stands for radio guide 6 and that's the uh, coaxial cable used for cable television anyway that's it bye very much appreciated. I mean, that, that couldn't have been more concise and to the point. And I, I, I actually do love all those comments from uh, from that listener when uh, Mr. When, X. When you call in. Yeah, is that Mr. X or uh, I think it's Mr. It? X. That's I, we don't know. Yeah, which is funny because what he mentions actually brings me back to the day that I was messing with uh, radio scanners, and I still do to a certain extent. Um, what I'm talking here, and if you're not into this, it's actually I think still a viable hobby. Uh, as you may know, there are transmissions all around you, analog, digital, all sorts of stuff going on. But you can get what they call, uh, I guess, properly a, a, a police scanner, a radio scanner at a lot of places. Radio Shack is where I started. And they, they made and I think still make fine products. Maybe not currently. I haven't looked at them. But I have a lot of older ones that were very flexible. And the thing was, is a lot of times to get decent range rather than using the wimpy built-in antenna, which is, you know, picks up hardly anything unless the you know it's a very strong signal what a lot of us would do is get a cable and run an outdoor antenna now you're talking especially if you can get an antenna on the roof or or even farther up you get a mast or something like that but the problem is then is that you have cable and anytime you have cable uh in any situation there's signal loss the more cable the more signal you lose and if there's too much cable you may get no signal at all so what a lot of us would do is that the radios were typically rated for, make sure I got this right, Dave, I think the radios were typically rated for 50-ohm impedance cable. That's right. I, I believe, and, yes. And the RG6 cable, uh, for like cable TV and other uses, was rated for 75-ohm impedance. That's right. So, so that's kind of close, but the, as it turns out, at least the cable that we had available to us in the day, if you used RG6 instead of RG58, 
RG6 had less signal loss, so even though the impedance was different, as long as you weren't transmitting, if you were transmitting, then I'd say having an impedance mismatch is bad. But for receiving, because we were running pretty long runs and signal loss was was the big concern, in a lot of cases, RG6 worked out as a better choice than the uh, El Cheapo RG58. So, uh, but it just makes me think back because I was struggling. I, I, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was eight or six or whatever. So I'm, I'm very glad. And that, that just brought me back to, again, my old scanner and CB and, uh, other radio, <laughs> um, adventures. Radio days, right? Wasn't that yeah, the, uh, Roger, I don't know if you, Roger Waters song? Uh, radio waves. Radio yeah, waves. It was part that of was radio a, chaos was the album. That was a great album. Oh yeah. Wow. I think, uh, there was that and right, pros and cons waves. of hitchhiking. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that? Oh, I remember oh, yeah. my Roger Waters. I, I think that was, I don't know if he did any more work than that. Uh, yeah, we'll have to check. Um, okay, so we have yet another clarification. Actually, two. Well, one clarification, perhaps, which we'll discuss. And then a suggestion, which is awesome, from uh, Mr. X, a different Mr. X, but Mr. X just the same. Hey, John and Dave. I uh, just listened to, I think it was 186. Uh, your arduous discussion of, I'm sorry, I use the word arduous, uh, your discussion of uh, using um, airport expresses and wires and what it's called when you use uh, a remote wired uh, wireless device like that. It's called a wireless access point. So you want to set your expresses up as a wireless access point. Uh, the other thing is... Actually, I'm, I'm going to stop there, and we'll, we'll do this in, in, in two pieces, John. So that, I think that that actually is the correct term for what the device becomes when you set it into what we called bridge mode. And there's a very specific reason we use the term bridge mode, John, and, and that is? Well, uh, I don't know if I want to step... Okay, well, if, if we want to say, if we want to talk about why we were using bridge mode, the thing is there are two main tabs in the Airport Express setup where you want to tell it what to do in order to do what we were talking about. And if you go to, if you run the airport utility and go to an Airport Express, click on the Internet tab on the top of the screen, and then click on Internet Connection. Towards the bottom, there will be a connection sharing category and it can have one of three settings share a public ip address distribute a range of ip addresses or off parentheses bridge mode so that was the very specific part of the apple setup we were talking about but there's also another screen that i think is what he was alluding to do you think no I, I don't okay. think so. Yeah because i don't think all right so we're anything. talking terminology i think we're it, talking the yeah. same thing here Absolutely. it's just uh, we we wanted to and we wanted to guide people through the very specific Apple terminology, which may not always be the common terminology. Right. Um, yeah. So, but we we actually yeah I sent some screenshots to Dave and and we talked about it and it's like yeah okay I know yeah. what you're talking about bridge mode. But but you're right it 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 is called a wireless access point at that point in time. All right. So now this this next thing here this is awesome. If you want to run. Um uh, Ethernet through your house and you don't want to climb in the attic or you don't want to crawl around in your basement or you don't want to drill holes in your wall, the ideal thing is uh, power line Ethernet adapters. Uh, I've seen them for as little as $20 a piece. I've seen them for as much as $150 a piece. But the, the neat thing about them is you plug them in, they find each other, 
and then you just uh, plug an Ethernet in at the other end. So you will plug it by your router, and then at the other end of your house, you could plug in, say, another hub or uh, or a, a, an express, and uh, and you've wired uh, a high-speed wired uh, connection through the power lines of your house to that uh, far end of your mansion, and it works great. So anyway. Uh, thanks for the great work, and uh, sorry, I was kind of disappointed that you guys didn't have that one more on the ball, but uh, I suppose you want to cut me off before I said that. Sorry, you guys do a great job otherwise. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, yeah, so the power line stuff is actually pretty cool. If it wasn't clear from his description, what you do is you take this device and you plug it in to the, the three-prong power outlet in your house, and then you... Uh, and then you plug Ethernet into the other side of this device, and presumably it's shielded or something in there, because otherwise, you know, you'd have all sorts of problems like I have where things blow up. Uh, but yeah, it sends it sends data signals across the the power lines in your house. The thing, the the reason that that this sort of fell off my radar, and I'm glad he brought it back up, was John. Initially, it used to be it used to max out at 14 megabits per second, mm. which. Ooh. Yeah, that's not going to do anybody any good. Well, well, you're saying 14 megabits, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that is probably equal to at least I'm looking here on my cable provider is probably equal to most uh, cable modem providers. I'm looking here. Mine offers 15 megabits a second total throughput. Total. And well, they have down, 30, no. 30 megabit burst mode. Uh, I'm sorry. Right. Downstream. Downstream. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's yeah. not bad, but it, well, it's kind of a it, it's a bot, it's potential bottleneck. Yeah, well, and it was fourteen megabit maximum, right? And, uh, which meant yes. it was less than that, right? <laughs> but but nowadays they're up to two hundred megabit maximum. Now, of course, that might also explain the pricing difference. You might be able to get the older stuff for twenty bucks a unit, and the newer stuff is is much more expensive. And remember, you need at least two, right? One on either end of this stream. But but it is it's it's a perfect solution uh, if you can get. You know, 200 or even half that, even if you get 100, that's plenty to connect, uh, you know, airport extremes to, to various spots in your in your home. So I, I think it's a it's a great thing. Now, remember, you know, you're not going to get gigabit, but you're not going to get gigabit across wireless either. So if you're using it as the as sort of the underlying network to to then pop wireless access points around the house, uh, I think it would be a, a, a fantastic solution. So, yeah, actually, I got one before, um, you know, you and I love TiVo and remember TiVo had a TiVo rewards program. I don't know if you uh, yes. moved to that at all. Yes. And they closed it down because, well, you know, they're they're, I think, struggling with uh, not not so much, um, but but they're still working on a business model where they're making money. I think they're right. moving in the right direction. Right. Um, full disclosure, I actually bought some shares because I, I thought they were such a great company. There you go. Um, of course, as soon as I bought them, the economic downturn and they're, yeah, but we won't talk about that because that's, that's uh, <laughs> uh, but anyways, one of my last rewards from them was in addition to like a little TiVo doll and, you know, TiVo this and TiVo that was a um, power line telephone connector for my analog line, which what a great thing for a TiVo because a TiVo, right. as you, as most of you know, a TiVo uses, or at least the one I have uses broadband. And there's also, I guess, a, a hardwire option, but just as a backup, and I like to have a backup plan. 
you could also, and I still do have, plugged into my TiVo an analog phone line just in case the cable connection doesn't work. It'll back off to the phone line to do its thing. And I don't know if you've set yours up in this way, Dave. But no, I haven't. FYI. I could, yeah. FYI, just in case you know, the phone line and the power are the only two things working in the house, it will still go out and, uh, and grab data, albeit slowly. Very slowly. Yeah, so I'm I'm on Vonage here. So the only time that I, I and I don't know if TiVo works over Vonage. I think it it, it for a Ooh. dial-up connection. Mm. I don't think it does. I think there was some issues with with TiVo connecting because it's a modem in there, right? And connecting a modem over VoIP is uh, often a, a sort of a, a strange thing. But well, the modem uh, gets confused because it expects an analog. Versus a digital technology. Correct. It doesn't expect the signal to be much. I think it works sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're pushing it. Yeah, yeah. And we, we do the TiVo over, uh, we've got it connected uh, with a, an, a G adapter. Um, but, you know, I wish they would, I wish TiVo would come out with an 802.11N adapter. But I could go and do the uh, the power line thing. Right. And that way I could do mm-hmm. essentially Ethernet speeds, you know, 100 megabit speeds to it. And then that would solve all my uh, all my problems. Right. Whoa. I uh, mm-hmm. I, I screwed up. I was going to hit the wrong button. The, I was going to fade in the van, the band. And uh, I faded in the end. I did. I faded in the very end. I got to go find the band now. Uh, this is very interesting. This is a, an interesting uh conundrum to be involved in so you know because i was looking to ensure that we didn't have any issues with uh with the um buffers and disk access and all that john Mm -hmm. what i did was instead of using aiff versions of all the the intro and outro songs i chose to use uh either aac or mp3 versions because that way uh, it would be less disk activity, right? Because the AIFF is a you know, much bigger file, so more stuff to right. read off the disk. I figured an M4A, we've got processor power to, to spare, so we just do it that way. But apparently, I put the stuff in the wrong order, so... Apparently I'm, you did. I'm not sure what's going to happen here as we, uh, as we proceed to our, our outro. At least we have this one right, and, and maybe I'll have the rest right by the, uh, by the end, but we don't know. I I don't know, but what I do know is that if you want to get in touch with us, one of the best ways to do that is to uh, call us using your regular analog or digital or cell phone, whatever type of phone you have, even an old Battlefield phone like I used to have, (laughs) where you crank it up and, uh, no, maybe not one of those, but uh, you can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. It is. Um, and you can uh, you can email us, right, to feedback at macgeekgab.com. That works. Yeah. yeah. Skype, I think, works. And, uh, you know, I, if I had to take a guess, I'd say if you want to Skype us, you Skype us at MacGeekGab. And I've been told it works. We get some comments mm-hmm. that way, so I have to assume it works. And uh, speaking of comments, um, probably the, the place that we all congregate the most to learn what you're thinking about the show is uh, the iTunes comment section. That is fun. I, I I do like reading the comments there. So if uh, if you got a moment, go and uh, go and check it out. Uh, y- you know, I did. There there was one thing I wanted to talk about at the end here because as MacWorld sort of slips into the distance, uh, th- there were a couple of other gadgets I used at the show that really kind of made my uh, made my day. So I'm just going to talk about them while the band plays a little bit here. 
One was on the way out, and then, of course, well, I, I could have used it on the way back, but I was sleeping. Uh, still able to charge my MacBook Pro on the plane using the adapter from MikeGyver.com. I got a new one. It's the new Kensington adapter that he has built nice. to make work with the uh, the mag, you know, the, the the MagSafe adapter on the MacBook Pro. It's awesome. Apple's adapter will power your MacBook on the plane, but will not charge it. So the Mike Giver thing is uh, is still my 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 go to device. The Mophie and speaking of power, the Mophie Juice Pack for the iPhone, freaking awesome. Totally revive my iPhone from dead. I would use my nice. iPhone all day, and then I'd have to go out at night. I'd plug it into the Mophie. It would. The, the power would transfer from the Mophie to the iPhone, fully charge the thing all the way back up, and then I could huh. unplug it and good to go. Okay. Yeah. What I dug, what I found also, yep. and actually I found that the it was actually the guy that runs the company that gave me the demo of it, but the um, Richard Solo 1800 yep. is very nice, and I think you've seen that. But the cool thing about it is it's not only a, a pretty high-capacity uh, you know, battery, and you can also both be charging it and have it charge your iPhone or iPod Touch. But it has both a flashlight and a laser. I mean, how cool oh, yeah. is that? Lasers are awesome. So, then that is that is true about the Mophie too. You can charge it while it's charging your iPhone. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Um, and and the other thing, the Mophie actually, I don't know if you've seen it, John. It fits over the phone, so it, it yeah, it's, it's like quite a case ergonomic. kind of. Well, it's like a case. It's sort oh, of. Yeah. Where's the band? Hello? I'm not sure what happened to the band. Press we'll, the band uh, button. Well, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to find the band button again. But the uh, yeah, yeah, and and I did. I actually, you're gonna love this, John. I bought a case at Macworld Expo. Wow. Yes, I know. Sounds strange, but I uh, I, I bought a case for my iPhone. It's the iFrogs Lux case. L U X E. Ooh, they make some good stuff. I I love that thing, man. It's awesome. I I it is the only case that stayed on my iPhone for more than a day. Um, it, it feels good. It looks good. It actually protects the corners of the phone without getting in the way while I'm typing. Uh, uh, it, and I was able to put it on the phone with my invisible shield. And, you know, that's something I've been meaning to talk about for about a year now. Uh, go. I've used the bodyguards and the invisible shield and the casemate. They all make... Uh, the, the, the wraparound, uh, you know, in somewhat invisible, clear shields for the phone. And I, I put them on, on both the bodyguards. One awesome. Doesn't scratch. No problem. The invisible shield one. Awesome. Doesn't scratch. No problem. The casemate one. And I hate to say this. I, and it, and it sort of puzzles me to say this, John, because I think they all use the same material, but I put the Casemate one on my iPhone 3G when I got it, and uh, and now it was the Casemate one for the previous iPhone, but it didn't matter, right? I mean, it you know still the same material. You stick it to the phone. Um, the shape was a little bit different, so it was a little bit funky at first. But man, after a week, it was all scratched up. The phone wasn't. The phone was fine. It protected huh. the phone. Sacrificed itself. Protected the phone. But it, it was weird. So uh, and I talked to Casemate about it, and they said, "Wait, this is weird. It doesn't make sense to us." And I said, "Well, okay." But uh, that has been my experience uh, with the the new one for the 3G as well. It was it, it scratched right away. Whereas I've had the Bodyguards one um, on there now, and I think my wife's got the Invisible Shield on hers, and and those are fun. Mm -hmm. So pick your favorite. Yeah, 
use it, but I, you know, I cannot recommend the Casemate one, but um, your mileage may vary. And if it has, well, let us know. And since we're talking about Mac products, and, yep. and actually, I got the Dr. Bot swag bag. So we're going to oh, yeah, have more to talk about. That's where I bought the uh, the thing. I bought it at uh, Dr. Bot's booth. That's where I bought yeah, the iPhone. But I got case. the bag. Oh, cool. Yeah, they're sending was, me one, uh, too. Yeah. Cool. You'll like it. The, the, there's some nice stuff in there. Cool. But one thing I noticed, so, so my case selection so far, so I have an iPod Touch, is I went by the Cena Cases booth. Yeah. And it was funny because, you know, as, as you're bound to do with these shows, I ran into the guy that runs the company. Right. And, and I said, you know, you guys sound familiar. I'm like, you know what? I have one of your cases, but it was one for an iPhone. But it was big enough to hold my iPod Touch. So I prefer, at least at this point, the kind of all-encompassing case where when I take the device out of the case, it's, it's exposed to all sorts of evils. Right. And when I'm done, I put it in the case, and it's protected from everything. And he looked at the case, and the guy, I mean, he runs the company. He was like, that's the wrong case. Let me get you the right one. Oh, good. That's great. <laughs> and he's like, here, save this for your iPhone. And he gave me one that was actually much, much better fitted. But the other thing I noticed on the show floor, we have a couple of pictures in the galleries, was they will actually do custom case work. So they have a, a huge line of cases. But if you want something custom... They will, you know, have all sorts of fabrics, and, and the, or at least they were doing this at the show. I'm going to assume that they do this in real life as well, is, is that if you want a custom leather case uh, or other material, these guys will do it. So, cool. But that was nice. That it, You know, for someone to just look at the case and the product and say, that's the wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> shows me they know what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I got I to gotta say it, though. For your touch, go get one of those invisible shields or the bodyguards thing, man. They're, it's awesome. Now, was that the guy? I saw somebody on the floor with, like, a, a heat gun and stuff. Um, they were, like, applying it live. No, or no, no. You don't need a heat gun to do this. Um, you, you just okay. you get it, it. You basically use soapy water, but they come with a little spritz container mm. of soapy water. Okay. And the trick is when you're putting these things on your iPod or your iPhone or whatever, or your cell phone, they, they make them for everything. Um, you got to spritz. They tell you, spritz the... Uh, the, you know, take the sticker off the, the, the backing, spritz the huh. sticker, and then you can float the sticker on the phone without it, you know, getting all gummed up. And then you just use like a little credit card thing to squeegee it out. But the trick is, before you do any of that, spritz your fingers with the stuff. So that way you can totally mm. manipulate this without the stuff sticking to your hands. So that's that's my yeah, trick. Yeah, you know who I, re- I remember positively, at least for my old old iPod days is um, iSkin, which typically were cases that totally envelop the uh, Much different the from the Invisible Shield, though. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, the Invisible Shield, as as the name implies, right. is almost invisible. Almost, yeah. But so I, right I highly recommend it. The, the Either Invisible Shield or Bodyguards are both awesome. So. Cool. Yep. Uh, all right, so iPhoneAlley.com is where you can find Michael Johnston. He's going to convert this show to AAC for you, or he already has, depending on who you are and when you're listening. He has? Well, That's impossible. We're still talking. Awesome. Oh, sorry. That's awesome. We're talking into the future. I love that. Cashfly provided the bandwidth that you use to download this show. See how I did that? I talked into the future. Podcast Marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit 9 from Barebones Software, Disc Label, and PDF Pen, <laughs> PDF Pen Pro 4. From Smile on my Mac and Notebook from Circus Ponies, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And with that, John, it's almost time for you me know? to go home and have dinner. It's weird. It, yeah. it started out light. Now it's dark. It's early. I know it's great. I get my. I feel like I have the night off, and I could take more rest because you, you know one rest. thing that really worried me today, Dave. Yeah, 
is rather than, you know, being out and about and not really knowing where I was, I was stuck home all day in bed. But, um, you know, being in one place for too long, you, you know, there's a high risk of... Um, well, you don't want to get caught. And especially, you don't want to catch a cold. <laughs> I could have said that. I'll have to figure out a better way to say that. Yeah, yeah, made on a Mac.